You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. So glad to be here with you all. If uh, this is your first time here or I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake. And so glad you're joining us. We're uh, continuing our series through Jesus' famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And today we come to, as you just heard, the portion of his sermon where he tells us, do not worry. In fact, he tells us that three different times. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Oh, how you doing with that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I understand. In fact, uh, if you're having a hard time with that, you need to know that you're not alone at all. It's interesting, I was uh, reading an article this week that told us that, uh, that came out earlier this month from the um, American Psychological Association. It released its findings from their annual uh, Stress in America poll. And uh, what their survey revealed is that America is more anxious than ever. The biggest concerns were rising costs of food and energy and, and other everyday items due to inflation. Hear that? And then uh, supply chain issues and global uncertainty and Russia's invasion of Ukraine and potential Russian cyber attacks and nuclear threats and the continuing COVID-19 pandemic. That's all. Just, just a few things. <laughs> Arthur Evans, Jr., chief executive officer of the American Psychological Association, said, the number of people who say they're significantly anxious about these most recent events is stunning relative to what we have seen since we began the survey in 2007, meaning uh, Americans are far more worried now than they have been at any point since 2007. Does that sound about right to you? And yet here's Jesus saying, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry. And a part of me just wants to say, uh, yeah, Jesus, uh, thank, thanks for that idealistic spiritual talk, but uh, like we live in the real world. But uh, one thing that I want to see right from the very beginning here is that this is actually what Jesus wants for us. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to live a life free from worry. And my, my guess is, you want that as well. well. In this passage, I just want to invite you to like really lean in, because in this passage, Jesus is going to tell us how that's possible, even in the crazy world that we live in today. And so, um, you know, if you want to take notes, if you want to lean in to that degree and take notes, you know, you feel free. I'll help you with that. You can... Uh, know what our outlines is. Let me give it to you. It says what we're going to do is what uh, cover, we'll cover what worry is, what causes worry, what worry causes, and finally, what cures worry. So what it is, what causes it, what it causes, and then what cures it. All right, so let's begin with what worry is. You with me? 
Okay, I want to begin with what worry is. We're like, we know what worry is. I, I know we feel we, we're very common. We're, we're, we, we know the emotion. But what Jesus talks about worry here, it's a little bit nuanced. And so I want to spend a minute here to help us really understand what he's talking about, okay? Because uh, the, the, when he says don't worry, it's couched within the context of this passage where he'd been talking about money, which Matt taught on last week, did a, did a fantastic job on that. But I want to remind you, uh, what he said, because the context is, is really important. See, Jesus had just said, don't store up your treasures on earth, but to store up your treasures in heaven. And he had just warned that no one can serve or be devoted to two masters. And he specifically called out God and money. So you have to keep that context in mind, for it's directly after those statements that Jesus says, uh, therefore, like connecting what he just said with what he's about to say, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, that's important to keep in mind because the Greek word that we translate worry here is the word merimnau, uh, merimnau. And it literally means to be drawn in opposite directions or divided into parts. To be drawn in opposite directions or divided into parts. It's like, it's like when we say to someone, like they have a, a distracted mind. And in the broader context of this passage, this definition of a divided mind or divided loyalty, it's between God's kingdom and our own little kingdoms. It means to be distracted from pursuing the kingdom of God by your desire to look out for yourself, to build your own little kingdom, to store up treasures on earth and serving money instead of God, as if money is going to be able to protect you and give you what you really need. It's, uh, it's, this is why uh, the biblical scholar Dick France uh, defines worry in this way, and I think it's beautiful and helpful, simple and clear. Worry is over-concern about something other than the kingdom of God. That's what worry is. Worry is over-concern about something other than the kingdom of God. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I think that definition is really helpful. It helps us understand what worry is. It also helps us understand what worry is not. Let me just take a minute and point this out. And what I'm about to share is, comes uh, from Timothy Lane's book, uh, living without worry. It's really good. I'm stealing from him on these points, so just give him credit. But uh, if worry is over-concern about something other than the kingdom of God, worry is not normal concern for things, okay? So Jesus is not saying you can't be concerned about things. Like you can't be responsible for things. You can't be wise about things and, and do the stuff that you need to, you need to do. Like over-concern is not the same as concern, right? Those are two different things. And so he's not saying, okay, you, you don't need to go to work. You don't need to earn money. You don't need to go to the doctor or whatever it might be. Like you, you, you do responsible things. You just don't let it consume you, overly concerned about it. So, well, how do I know the difference between concern and overly concerned? Well, it's kind of hard to peg down. I, I give you that. But let me give you a simple way to tell the difference. The first, I would just say it's this. Concern leads you to take wise action as you pray dependently, and it's accompanied with peace. 
That's concern. Overconcern leads you to try to control what you can't control as you play out worst-case scenarios, and it's accompanied with feelings of panic. So that's, a, that's maybe a helpful definition for you. See, worry is over-concern about something other than the kingdom of God. Concern is, is normal. <laughs> that's okay. That's one thing we can learn from this. Second thing that uh, this means, that, that this definition helps us understand what Jesus is not talking about or what really even more what the solution is to this uh, is not trying to become more laid back. See, if worry is over-concern, the, the solution to overcome worry is not under-concern, okay? It's not like, okay, well, I'm going to now just try to be like really laissez-faire about this issue that's kind of a big deal to me, but I'm just going to act like it's not. I'm going to be really laid back, easygoing, or perhaps just ap- try to be apathetic about this. That's not the solution to worry, because worry isn't about being over-concerned about, uh, worry is not all about just dealing with your, what you're concerned about. It's what your, your concern is directed towards. And so the answer isn't just, oh man, I'm not going to be concerned about my, you know, my health or my job or whatever. It's, no, no, it's what degree are you concerned about and what is the thing that you are truly, ultimately, primarily concerned about? Is it the kingdom of God or is it your own kingdom? Does that make sense? So keep that in mind. This is what Jesus is talking about. What is worry? It's, it's not, it's not uh, concern, and it's not under concern, and does, the solution isn't under concern. No, worry is over concern about something other than the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus says here, don't do that. Don't do that. But the problem is, we all do that, don't we? We all get overly concerned about anything, other things than the kingdom of God. And why, why is that? Why, why do we do that? Put another way, what causes us to worry? And I think that there are uh, two big causes. One is because there's something wrong with the world. And the second is because there's something wrong with our hearts. Something wrong with the world and something wrong with our hearts. Specifically, take the first one, there's something wrong with the world. It, the reason we worry is because uh, 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 life is hard. Like if, if everything was easy, you know, if there was nothing bad that ever happened, I think it'd be really easy not to worry, right? But that's not reality, is it? Like this, this world, it's, it's broken. I mean, COVID and the war in Ukraine and Inflation and broken relationships and cancer. I mean, all this is the highlights that fact. This is, I don't think anyone's arguing with me. The world is broken. That's one of the big reasons why we have a hard time not worrying. Oh. What's funny is that uh, for, a, for a while in my life, I would look at this passage and uh, kind of read it, interpret it in a way to believe uh, that made me feel like somewhat comforted, though it was a false security. But I, I would read this passage as if Jesus was saying, hey, the reason you don't need to worry is because I'm going to make sure nothing bad happens to you. Like I read, I read this passage as if this was like Jesus' Bob Marley moment, you know, where like, hey, you know, don't worry about a thing 
and every little thing is going to be all right. I did not sing that for you because I care about you. And, that, you know, that's, that's uh, not have gone well. But that, it's like as if Jesus is just saying, hey, 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 hey just relax. You know, don't, don't, don't worry. It's, it's, it's all, everything is going to be okay. You're, nothing bad is going to happen. Just, you know what, just go look at the birds. Go, go, go look at the, the, the lilies, the flowers in the field, and just, just chill. Now, I, I loved that interpretation, and yet at the same time, I, I hated the last verse in this passage because it, it, it always rubbed me wrong when I tried to interpret it that way. Remember the last, last verse, verse 34, he says, uh, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's like I hated that last line, right? Like I wanted Jesus to say, hey, don't, don't worry about tomorrow because I'm going to make sure that the worry has no troubles in it. Like everything's going to be fine, but that's, that's not what he says. And I hate, I hate that. I wish he said something different. And yet at the same time, I, I really appreciate this. Because this is another proof that Jesus uh, is a realist. Like he's not this, this super spiritual guru who speaks in abstractions and what he says. So you, ha- you don't see how it actually can align with, with the life that we experience. That he knows that in this world you will have troubles. And yet he still says it's possible for us not to worry. So what Jesus is saying here is very, very radical. He's saying that it is possible not to worry even though troubles will still come your way. (laughs) See, when Jesus points to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he doesn't do that because uh, they serve as shining examples of safety and security. He's not saying, look at the birds, nothing bad ever happens to them. Bad things happen to birds, (laughs) you know? This... This week, in fact, uh, Krista let our little puppy outside, and uh, when, she let, when she went to let her come, the puppy come back inside, she comes running up with a, I'm not kidding, a dead bird in her mouth. And like, sh- sh- there was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of screaming. And it turns out our dog's a bird killer, and, you know, and it's like, goodness gracious. And, and she really did kill it. Like, we went outside, and, like, there was feathers everywhere. You could see where she pounced on it. It was, it was gross. And she was, the dog was super proud of herself. But we were like, don't do that anymore. But anyways, bad, bad things happen to birds. Bad things happen to flowers. Now, nothing bad should ever happen to a blue bonnet. Don't pick it. Don't step on it, okay? They're out now. It's awesome. It's perfect timing for this message. But, uh... Jesus even says about flowers in this passage, he says, hey, look, flowers are here today and tomorrow they're thrown into the fire. See, Jesus doesn't hold birds and flowers up as examples of created things that never have something bad happen to them. No, he points to them because they serve as examples of how God abundantly provides even in this broken world. He provides food for the birds, especially the early birds, Krista told me, don't, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't, don't keep that in there. He provides for the birds. He provides beautifully, uh, beautiful clothes for the flowers. He, uh, and his point is, if God does that for birds, and if he does that for flowers, you can trust that he'll do that for you. That even in this world full of troubles, he provides for the birds and the flowers, and you can trust that he'll provide for you. But 
in order for us to actually trust that he's going to provide for us, we have to deal with the other thing that causes us to worry. And this is really the foundational thing. It's the heart level thing. It addresses what's wrong with our heart. And that is that we actually don't believe that God will provide for us. We don't actually believe that God is trustworthy. And so we believe that we have to look out for ourselves. And so we become over-concerned with storing up treasures on earth and pursuing ways to meet our own needs. And we turn our primary attention to pursuit of getting things like food and drink and clothes or whatever else we think we need. We become overly concerned with pursuing the treasures of this world as we seek to build and to fortify our own little kingdoms. See, when we don't trust God, it results, as us, it results in us attempting to look out for ourselves, and then we have a distracted, a divided mind, keeping us from seeking first the kingdom of God, instead having to look out for ourselves. And guys, this is nothing new. This is the temptation of Genesis 3. This is the temptation of the garden, is it not? Serpent comes, and his big idea is God can't be trusted. He's holding out on you. No, no, you need to take of the fruit so that you can be what? Like God, so that you can know what's good and evil, so you can know what's good for you and what's bad for you, so you can call the shots in your life so that you can be in control. Because we don't trust God, we take the fruit... Now, because we don't trust God, we don't seek his kingdom first. We look out for our own kingdoms. We try to build out for ourselves. We try to get money. Our life is about getting money. Our life is about getting, you know, success. It's about looking good to others. It's about getting that job or getting that house. If we had that house, then I'd feel good about myself or I'd feel safe or whatever. And we chase, we chase after those things. And our mind's divided. And we become overly concerned about something other than the kingdom of God, because we don't trust God to provide for us. So we try to do it ourselves. Problem is, when we try to play God that way, uh, something happens. Uh, we worry <laughs> because we realize we're actually not God, and we're not in control. And we can't really provide for ourselves in every way that we wish that we could. We, we run into the fact that we are not God. Jesus makes that point when he says in verse 27, uh, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And of course, the, the answer is uh, no one. But we try, don't we? In verse 34, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. But we spend a lot of time worrying about tomorrow, don't we? Because we aren't in control of what tomorrow brings. But if you believe that God can't be trusted with tomorrow, and so you have to be on the lookout for yourself, then you're going to worry about tomorrow. You're going to worry about the new COVID variant. And you're going to worry about World War III. And you're going to worry if you have enough money to put gas in your car. See, friends, this is the uh, ultimate cause of worry. It's the heart belief that God can't be trusted, so instead of seeking first his kingdom, we become over-concerned about building up our own little kingdoms. 
And we try to take the place of God and control what we can't control and know what we can't know. And that's what causes us to worry. Now, that's what causes us to worry. What does worry cause? And we know a lot of this, so I won't spend much time on it. But worry causes what? It causes sleepless nights. Worry causes poor health. Jesus says, who by worrying about tomorrow can add a single day to your life? But you know what? You can worry about tomorrow and take away some days of your life, right? It actually is scientifically proves that it hurts your health. Worry causes sleepless nights and poor health. It causes a lack of joy, lack of peace. But the thing I really want to help you see this morning is that uh, worry also causes you to miss out on opportunities to pursue the kingdom of God and to experience God's incredible love and kindness and provision for you. That might not sound like a really big deal to you, but guys, uh, it's a huge deal. In fact, it's the main point that Jesus has in this passage. I don't want you to worry so that you can, because I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. So why is that a big deal? Well, let me just tell you a couple stories personally. You know, I've, I've learned this, and, the, and it gives me a passion. Like, I really want y'all to get this uh, because of something I've experienced. Um, when Krista and I felt God's prompting uh, to adopt from Uganda, uh, um, we didn't know what to do with that. Because we had literally about $14,000 to our name, like checking account, savings account, retirement. We didn't actually have a retirement account. I know, Greg, that's bad. Uh, but the, uh, like, we, we, like we had $14,000 to our name. It's going to cost about $30,000 to adopt from Uganda. So we're like, okay, God, I don't know, like, I feel like you're saying to do this, but like it's going to wipe us out. And then, and then we're still not only going to be halfway there at, at, at most. Like, how are we going to? do this, and Chris and I had lots of conversations about this where we just wrestled with, look, do we trust that God is really going to provide for us if we step out to pursue his kingdom in this way by adopting a boy from Uganda? And man, it was a gut-level conversation. It was not easy. It was super scary. But we felt God was really saying, do it. And we looked at passages like this, this one, and said, okay, seek for his kingdom. He will provide. So, all right. And I felt like Indiana Jones stepping off that one, you know, that, that deal where it's like, there's nothing under me, but what's going to happen? And we went after it. And you know what happened? God provided. God provided every single cent. There was not a single time where a payment was due and we didn't have the money to pay it. There were a couple of times when a payment was due and we got the money for it uh, within an hour of when it was due. And that was hard to trust God in. And it was easy to trust God with the next one when that happened. To see God's incredible, tangible love and provision for us all along the way did wonders for my faith and for Chris's faith. Because you know what? Because I got to see that what Jesus is saying here is true. 
that you, or that for me, to keep it personal, Chris and I really looked at each other and we said, we're valuable to God. He knows what we need. As we seek his kingdom, you know what? He provides for us. I would never know that to the degree that I know that now if I had chosen to build my own kingdom, to stay safe with the money in the bank and say, okay, God, I just, we just don't have what it takes. Maybe whenever we have what it takes, we'll do that. Hmm. I would have missed out on God's expression, knowing, experientially knowing his incredible love. And Chris and I would have missed out on having an awesome son in Enoch. Man, that did wonders for our faith. That did so much, so much good, so much strengthens our faith so powerfully that a year later, Chris and I stepped out to plant Midtown Church. And again, we were in a position, our, our savings had not been built up at all. We still didn't have that retirement account. Again, sorry, Greg. And we went to, um, <laughs> just picking on you, buddy. I know, I know that uh, Greg's like one of the most generous people I've, I know I felt, I felt the need to say that. I, I need to stop picking on you. But anyways, we, um, we set out to plant this church. Planting this church meant leaving, a, leaving a, a secure job at a church that I loved. And it, it meant um, moving and selling our house in Fluorville to rent a house just three blocks down the road here on Red River uh, that was much smaller <laughs> and we didn't own anymore. And, and it meant... Uh, uh, trying to uh, get people to come with us. At that time, when we decided to plant, we had six people. Chris and I were two of them. We had four other, four other people that said, yeah, I'm interested in doing that with you. So we're trying to like, recruit a team. We don't know if God's going to provide people. We don't know if he's going to provide any kind of financial stability. We don't know if God's going to provide a place for us to meet. I mean, it could, I could go on and on and on again, but God said, hey, seek first my kingdom my righteousness. And so we said, okay, we can just stay back and just, you know, play it safe. We can go for this. And the lessons that we learned when we were adopting Enoch helped us say, you know what, let's go for this. And God provided every step of the way. He provided people. He provided a place to meet. He provided a trailer to haul our stuff. He provided a brand new, or not brand new, but a truck for me whenever my car, the car that was pulling the trailer uh, broke down. Someone just gave me a truck, said, hey, no, I know you need this. He, he provided financially. He provided, he provided, he provided again and again. And our faith in God's care for us grew and grew and grew when we experientially and in tangible ways experienced his love for us as we sought his kingdom. He came through. Guys, um, Jesus is not lying when he says this in this passage. The enemy is the liar. The enemy says that you can't trust God. The enemy says that God's holding back on you. The enemy says that if, if you if you eat of the fruit, if you don't trust God, you do your own thing, you will not die. That is a lie. God says, 
You're valuable to me. God says, hey, seek my kingdom, and I've got you. Because Jesus is not lying when he says that. Listen, listen, just listen to him again. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And do not, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all the splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans or those who don't trust in God run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, Jesus is calling us not to worry, not to be overly concerned about something, about anything other than God's kingdom. But instead, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting that you are valuable to God and he knows what you need and he will provide what you need as you seek his kingdom. And friends, I so want you to know that. But much more significantly, Jesus wants you to know that. This is what he wants for you. See, because there's nothing like it. The joy, the meaning, the adventure, the, 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 the significance, the joy, the, the tangible experience of God's love and his care for you, the peace that you find even as you live in the midst of a broken world. It's right here, Jesus. So please trust me. Seek first my kingdom. But in order for us to actually trust him, for us to be able to enjoy that kind of freedom that he wants for us, we have to know <laughs> what will set us free from worry. What will actually cure it? So it's not enough just to say, okay, so trust him. I'm like, okay, <laughs> but I have reasons I don't trust him. <laughs> so like, as, as you can just command it. So what, what reason can we have to trust him? Well, Jesus gives, them, gives us those reasons here. And these reasons, if we believe them, really will cure our worry. They really will set us free from it. See, here's the reasons. Jesus says, you have to first trust that you're valuable to your father. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than that? Yeah, you are. That's, that's what he's getting at. Second thing is you need to believe that he knows what you need, as he says here. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and what your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And the third thing you need to believe is that uh, He will provide what you need, as He says here. But seek first 
the kingdom of his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And say, okay, that's what I need to believe. But how, how can I believe? Is there any proof? What would cause me to believe that? Yeah, there is. There's a ton of proof. It's powerful proof. And you can discover it when you just simply ask the question, uh, who's saying this? Who, who's speaking here? See, when you recognize that this, that, that this is Jesus, God the Son, saying that you're valuable as a father, saying that he knows what you need and that he will provide what you need, then that, that has an edge to it. Because see, after Jesus says this, what does he do? He proves it. And he goes to the cross and he lays down his life and he is crucified for you and for me. Friends, that's how valuable you are to God. So valuable that Jesus died for you. See, God knew what you needed. More than anything else, what you needed in order to have life and life to the full, to have eternal life, what you needed is a Savior who would take your sin. What I needed was a Savior who would take my sin, my sin of trying to and your sin of trying to take the place of God, of not trusting God, of not pursuing his kingdom, but building your own kingdom, to take that sin and to pay for it himself instead of requiring for us to pay the wages of our own sin. God gave us what we needed in Jesus. And he provided in the most extravagant way. See, he loves you that much. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, that's our proof that we're valuable, that God knows what we need, and he will provide it even to the most extreme measure. Apostle Paul picks up on that. Romans 8, 31 and 32, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Friends, when you believe that, you will have found the cure for worry. And you will be set free to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that as you do, all these things will be given to you as well. For you will know that the Father has you, that he is good, that he is good, that he's good, and he's never going to let you down. You're his valuable daughter. You're his valuable son. You can trust him. The old Puritan John Owens once said, uh, it is irrational for Christians to worry because in doing so, a Christian would be saying, God, I trust you with all my eternity, just not with Thursday. As Jesus is the proof that we can trust God with our eternity and with our Thursdays. And he wants you to know that so you can be free from worry and be free to run after his kingdom, pursuing him, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and experiencing his incredible love and provision for you.
different. Believe that. Believe that. And it will set you free. Set you free from worry. Set you free to pursue his kingdom. And, and friends, if you've never put, placed your trust in Jesus, I invite you to believe that right now. For though, uh, through Jesus' death and resurrection, he made the way not only for you to be reconciled and adopted into his family, but also for you to not be gripped by the worries of this world. And even right this minute, you can just pray between you and God and tell him, God, I'm so tired of being afraid all the time. I'm so tired of being anxious and worried. I need to know that I have a father, and I believe that you are my father. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I want to pursue your kingdom instead of trying to build my own. Just tell him that. And he promises you that you're adopted into his family and that he loves you like a valuable son and daughter and that you don't have to worry anymore. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.